Most Christians have heard of Jesus' words from the cross just before he died. You've heard of it is finished, right? Well, in reality, it is finished is the translation of a single Greek word, which is not used anywhere else in Scripture except for on the cross. And there's a fascinating reason why. We're going to get into all of that, including what all it is finished, what all is finished because of the cross, and the surprising thing that it all means about the devil, too. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book, Shut Up Devil, created the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. And by the way, don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. Well, if you have read any of my books, or you've tuned in to my teachings for even a little bit, then you know how much of an impact that the message of the cross has had on my life. I based just about every message off of it in some way because it was that huge for me. Changed everything for me, like about a decade into my born-again faith is when I really got the message. The cross is a defining moment in Christianity. It's one of the things that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. You see, when you boil them all down, every other religion is about something you do, achieving something through what you do, or appeasing something through what you do. But because of the cross, Christianity is about what Jesus has done. Do versus done. Remember that. That, by the way, is a good and simple litmus test for truth. When you hear something taught or you read something in a book, ask yourself, is this teaching something to do or something that's done? If it's do, more to do in order to please God, more to do in order to receive his blessings, or his favor, then it's some sort of what the Apostle Paul called high-sounding nonsense. More on that a little bit later. But the real gospel message, the one that has any kind of power, is in the truth of what Jesus did to make you right and pleasing to God. It is a simple message that the work is done and accepted with your belief. So hear that again. The work is done. And that's not just the ultimate message of the cross, but it is the ultimate message from the cross. Take a look at John 19.30. Let me set the stage for this first here. It's crucifixion day. Jesus is nailed to the cross, and he's been hanging from it for about six hours by this time. That's a lot of time. Be hanging by nails in your hands and feet. But in this moment, this is the greatest illustration of what Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Well, I don't 
think there's a greater act of sin than crucifying the Son of God. I don't think Adam and Eve's initial sin even went beyond that, the crucifixion of Jesus. Crucifixion is the height of sin. That's when it increased the most, I would say. But in that moment of sin's ugliest achievement, Jesus announced the height of grace. He announced the completion of God's greatest achievement. Just before Jesus breathed his last breath, he declared here in John 19.30, it is finished. Now, let me dissect this phrase for you a bit. It is finished is the English translation of a single word in Greek. It's the word tetelestai. That one word we made into three words, tetelestai. Interestingly, tetelestai is a very unique word that's not used any place else in the Bible except for on the cross. Now, there are other forms of the word. Like the root form of it is teleo, and that means something that was finished or would be finished. Tetelestai, however, was something more. It's not just past. It's not just future. But it's a word that means finished, complete, accomplished for the past, present, and future. It's a trinity of completion. Think of it this way. When Jesus announced from the cross, Tetelestai, what he was announcing was, it is finished and it will remain finished. Now that might beg some questions in your mind. What is it? It is finished, but what is it? Well, the original gospel readers wouldn't have needed this described so much. Not back in Jesus' day or shortly after he died. They were still living in a religious system of sacrifices to try to earn forgiveness and peace with God. They understood that he claimed to be the final sacrifice that put an end to all of that. Now, I'm not saying they all agreed with it or believed it, but they at least understood that's what he claimed to do and be. Plus, what the Bible says happened just after Jesus said it is finished certainly left no room for doubt in their minds, and it's a huge clue for us understanding it today if it's explained correctly. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. Right after Jesus says it is finished, it says, At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So let me recap the events that just happened here. So I know there's a lot to this. I want us to follow along. After about six hours of Jesus hanging on the cross, Jesus announced it is finished. Then he gave up his spirit to die. At that moment, the Bible says, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple split in two from top to bottom. For we modern readers, that might beg even more questions. And that's why I'm here to help. In those days, the inner sanctuary of the temple, also known as the Holy of Holies, was the place where God's presence dwelt. And it was only entered by a high priest to make sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Other than that, 
This curtain separated the room of God's presence from everyone else. It was the main illustration of the separation between God and people, a separation made because of sin. Well, the tearing of the curtain then was the main illustration that sin's power to separate God and people is, as Jesus announced, finished. And saying that just opens up a whole lot more questions. There's a whole lot more that we can talk about regarding what is finished. So I hope you're starting to get a sense here as to why the message of the cross was so transformational for me, as it should be for everyone, because every little truth about it opens up more truths. I mean, I'm convinced that we'll be discovering implications about what the cross accomplished for the rest of our lives. It really is the gift that keeps on giving. So while we're talking about the temple here, let's talk about what happened in the temple that the cross finished and how that applies to us today. As I said, the temple was a place where sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of sins. And by sins, I'm talking about the human failures and imperfections and failures to uphold the 613 laws of Moses, which begin with the Ten Commandments. So, accordingly, Lying is a sin. Murder is a sin. Worshiping another god is a sin. Those are some of the obvious ones. But according to the law, those 613 commandments, wearing clothing made of two kinds of fabrics was a sin. Eating pork or shellfish was a sin. Borrowing with interest was a sin. Being left-handed was a sin. Like I said, 613 of them. Some of them were about behavioral things. Some of them were more about quality of a person. It was impossible to live perfectly. It was impossible to obey the 613 commandments perfectly too. That's why sacrifices were made daily in the temple by the priests for the forgiveness of sins. And one big sacrifice was made yearly on the Day of Atonement for the overall forgiveness of the sin of Israel. It's a different message, but when it comes to all of those 613 laws and what they were for, ultimately it was to point people to Jesus. The law was to be such a burden that it would force people to realize We can't do this on our own. We can't achieve righteousness on our own. We need help. So get them off depending on themselves and depending on the Messiah who was to come. Like I said, that's a different message. But I go into the purpose of the law in my message, Why Nothing Changes No Matter How Hard You Try. You can find that one on my website or my podcast. But when the time was right, God sent his help as Jesus, who did what was necessary to fulfill the law so that people didn't have to try anymore. Paul said it in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. He says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. I like how Other versions say it too. The English Standard Version puts it this way, for Christ is the end of the law. Hear those two phrases. 
Christ has accomplished the purpose of the law. Christ is the end of the law. What this means is that, as I said, the 613 laws were meant to point people to the need for Jesus, and now that he came, there was no more need for the law. It is finished, meant that he accomplished its purpose, and his death as the final sacrifice for sin means that sins are no longer being held against people. That's what John the Baptist meant when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what the Apostle Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 5.19 when he said, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He said in Romans 5.13 that where there is no law to break, there is no sin to count. It is finished, announced, both the fulfillment of the law and therefore the end of people being held to it by God. By default, then, this means it was the end of the need for sacrifices. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the final sacrifice, which didn't just temporarily cover for sin, but took it away. Big difference there. Because of Jesus, your sin is not just covered temporarily until you make another sin, which requires you to make another sacrifice. No. Jesus took away all sin. Which means when it comes to forgiveness of sin and peace with God, there's nothing more for you to do. Again, it is done. It is finished. Back in Jesus' day, they understood this to mean animal sacrifices. We Christians don't still do that, thankfully. But we have our own means of trying to work for forgiveness and peace with God, don't we? Think about whatever religious activity you feel guilty for not doing enough of. Is that Bible reading? Is it church attendance? Is it giving? Is it not praying enough? Not volunteering enough? Not memorizing enough scripture? Obviously, nobody's saying that any of those are bad things. Not in and of themselves. But like animal sacrifices, none of them can achieve peace with God. None of them can make you right permanently. This is why the author of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 12, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Nothing you can name is more effective than Jesus' sacrifice, and nothing is more permanent. Remember, it is finished is to die, which means past, present, and future. Or like Hebrews says there, good for all time. But look how this verse continues. After Jesus was sacrificed, it goes on to say, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. I taught on this a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to belabor the point too much. But by saying that Jesus sat down, the author of Hebrews meant for the reader to call to mind the temple once again in order to realize what was finished. You see, in the temple where the priests offered daily sacrifices, there was no seat. Priests couldn't sit down. Why? Because the work never ended. Because sin never stopped, there were always more sacrifices to be made, so they couldn't take a seat. But follow me here. 
because Jesus died for the forever forgiveness of sin, then sin was no longer held against people by God. Since sin was no longer held against people by God, it didn't stand between God and humans anymore. So people were reconciled back to God. Thus the torn curtain. This is deep, I know. But there's a lifetime of healing, freedom, and deliverance in this message if you can get it. Having done everything necessary to restore peace between God and people, the work was finished once and for all, good for all time. That's why Jesus took a seat. The last high priest took a seat. And as Ephesians 2 6 says, that as one who believes in him, you are also seated with him. You're seated with him in heavenly places. So in his finish means there's nothing more for Jesus to do. And as it applies to your life today, there's nothing more for you to do, not as far as God is concerned. When it comes to your standing with God right here, right now, In Christ, there is no need for self-improvement. When it comes to your forgiveness, no amount of sorrow, sobbing, or effort can earn you any more than you already have. Somebody hear this. This This is a word for somebody listening right now. You were forgiven. You are forgiven. You will always be forgiven. And that just sets somebody free. And when it comes to God's promises, you don't have to prove yourself worthy of them. It is finished means that you can take a seat now and forever. But you know what this also means? It means that the power of the devil is finished. One of the names of the enemy is the accuser. You've heard that. Since he became the enemy, The devil has seen it as his role, kind of like a prosecuting attorney, to accuse God's people of sin and breaking God's laws and to tell them how horrible they are because of it. Well, since sin is no longer held against us, his accusations have no merit, so he is disarmed. And that isn't just me reading into this. This is what Scripture explicitly says. I'm going to take you to it right here in the book of Colossians chapter 2. We're going to go through various verses here. But let me again bring you right up to speed with what's happening in this moment of scripture. The Christians at Colossae were being challenged by religious leaders that they needed to do more than have faith in Jesus in order to please God. They argued for, among many things, a return to certain traditions like circumcision, for one. And this is what Paul responded to by saying in verse 8, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. A lot of high-sounding nonsense still exists today. But he went on to talk about how their belief in Jesus made them whole and holy. Simple as that. In verse 11, 
He says that their faith, their dependency in Christ, cut out their sin nature. Cuts out our sin nature. Believers don't have a sin nature. We have a righteous nature. It's all spelled out there through completion in Christ. But this brings us to verses 13 through 15, which talks about the devil, the accuser. Follow this. Verse 13, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, if I might add just a little commentary right there. Paul is affirming what we've already explored. Jesus fulfilled the law, the requirements, therefore ending sin being charged to our account, the charges, and therefore ending the punishment of sin that the law required, canceled, crucified, done away with, it says. So now let's continue on in verse 15. Paul says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So what Paul's saying here is that with sin no longer being held against us, the enemy's power is defeated. Sure, the devil still exists, and he still talks, but his accusations are really meaningless. Why? Because it is finished. If I might add one fun fact to this, when Paul said he shamed them publicly, he was calling to mind something in those days called a triumphal procession. I like how the message paraphrase puts it. It says he stripped all the spiritual tyrants of their sham authority and marched them naked through the streets. That's a good picture there because that's exactly what a triumphal procession was. It was a Roman parade that celebrated a military victory. In that parade, the winning army would march through the streets in celebration with the spoils of the enemy. But even more, they would march the enemy's defeated leaders through the streets, usually naked in humiliation, as a sign to the people that you don't have to be afraid of them anymore. They are powerless. The highest honor of a Roman general was to lead one of these parades. Well, not only did Paul illustrate that the devil is the enemy who was defeated and then marched naked in this parade, but to the Corinthians, he said that we, like you and I, get to join Christ in this triumphal procession. We get to be part of it and celebrate in it. We're marching the enemy through the streets with Christ. So do you see? The cross was the moment of victory over the enemy. And Jesus' announcement at the end of his time on the cross, it is finished, was an announcement of that victory all because the sin was forgiven, the law is fulfilled, so the enemy has nothing more to accuse. This is why Paul continued 
in Colossians 2.16, just after he says he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross, he says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or Sabbaths. Verse 17, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Christ himself is that reality. He is what all the rules and laws and commandments in the Old Testament pointed to. He is what all the prophecies pointed to. Everything pointed to Christ. And for about 1,500 years, people were held accountable to the law, accountable for their sin in order to prove that humans can't achieve righteousness on their own, is what I said at the beginning. But then Jesus came. And he came to die on the cross as God's final sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin once and for all. In doing so, you finished the purpose of the law. You finished its requirements. You finished sin being held against people. You finished the power of the enemy. Then he took a seat. And for all who believe and place their trust in what Jesus finished, they are seated with him. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are seated with him. Your spirit is at rest with him. Secured at the feet of Jesus in heavenly places. So I speak it over your life right now. And I ask the Holy Spirit to unpack everything that it means about you and your situations. Hear this. It is finished. There is nothing more to prove. There is nothing more for you to produce. There is nothing more for you to fix. Despite what you feel, despite whatever you face, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are clean and complete. God is with you and you are with him. He can't get any closer and he's not going to go any farther. Here's the message of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that, power's in the so that, the message is in the so that, the resurrection life is in the so that, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It is finished. Like I said, the cross is the gift that keeps on giving. There's no end to the amount of time that we could spend talking about what it accomplished, what it means for our lives, what it means for culture today, on and on and on. And this was a meaty message, and I've given you enough to chew on for now. But if you'd like to take this further, then I recommend my book, Shut Up Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. As I said in the message, the enemy is defeated, but that doesn't mean he doesn't still try to talk and accuse. 
His accusations are really meaningless, but they can be powerful in your life if you don't know the truth about what the cross accomplished. As I share through the first chapter of this book, the enemy's name in Greek is diabolos, which means slanderer. So his goal against a Christian is to try to convince you that you aren't who God says that you are. You aren't what the cross made you. So this book uses the truth of the cross to help you silence the 10 greatest lies that the enemy uses against you. Lies like you're still a horrible sinner, that God is punishing you, or you can't be forgiven. 10 lies. If you found this message revealing and helpful, then you'll love the book. Shut Up Devil is available wherever books are sold in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. But I'd love to send you a signed paperback copy. I sign every book that's ordered from my website. And so you can request your signed copy right now. Just go to kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. That's kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast or wherever you get your social media. Don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.